Welcome to Training for Manhood, an ongoing exploration and adventure intended to be fast, fun, and formative for guys who desire to be the best men they can. Young or old, there are always areas for improvement, growth, and maturity. We hope you'll pay attention and put into practice the useful advice you hear on this podcast. But remember, the goal isn't just to listen, but to do what you learn. Welcome to Training for Manhood. All right, welcome back to Training for Manhood. We're diving into Tim Keller, T- Keller uh, Tim and Kathy Keller, uh, their book, The Meaning of Marriage, Facing the Complexities of Commitment with the Wisdom of God. Uh, and uh, we are in uh, episode three, which means we're doing chapters five and six. Chapter five is called Loving the Stranger. Uh, and chapter six is Embracing the Other. Chapter five, the, the idea of loving the stranger uh, is the concept that marriage changes us um, and as it changes us, um, marriage and that love commitment is going to carry you through uh, those particular changes. Um, there's a quote that he uses in there. He says, uh, for, for marriage being the enormous thing it is means that we are not the same person after we have entered it. Um, and I just, I love that. He says, marriage changes us. Having children changes us. A career switch changes us. Age changes us. Um, but what is it that, that keeps us together um, through that whole process. Um, and as we talked about before, it's that covenant aspect of marriage, not that uh, consumer concept uh, that so many people in, uh, so many people in the world have. Um, but that's, uh, that's what he's going after uh, in this particular uh, chapter. What did you guys think about chapter five? I think we all have experienced a portion of chapter five of loving the stranger and that, you know, when we first met our spouses, we were just head over heels. And it's this phase that uh, psychologists have studied where that first let's call it a year to 18 months, is mm-hmm. there is nothing wrong. Yeah. The honeymoon with phase. Your, the honeymoon yep. phase, the limerence phase. They just, they hung the moon, they walk on water, and then uh, normally about that time you're proposing and you get married and you have to spend real time with them and you realize, wait a second, he doesn't know how to put clothes in a hamper. Or she loads the dishwasher wrong. Yeah. My, honey, know, my honeymoon phase lasted two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. I came home uh, at the end of two weeks and I found my wife crying on the couch. Um, and she, she said to me, she goes, my mom was right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, what, what are we talking about? <laughs> Shots and fired. I, and I had, uh, I had stopped pursuing her um, because that was the thing is, is uh, you know, I, I pursued Trisha. We, we met when we were down at UT um, and uh, I knew that I was going to marry her the, the very first time I met her. Um, I saved the tickets from the game, September 26th, Texas versus North Texas. I still have the tickets to this day. Um, the next day I went over and, uh, and dropped off a card and some books for her to read, by mm-hmm. the way, which she still laughs at. <laughs> She's like, I think you I gave still, me books. Yeah, I, still, I think I still have those books and I don't think I've still read them <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, you know, I, I was there. I had something every day that week that I sent her. Um, the next Friday night I took her out on our first date and I just, you know, I pursued her. Yeah. Right? Uh, and then uh, we got married and apparently... Uh, after we got married, and I don't remember because I have a terrible memory, but apparently, like the pursuit immediately stopped <laughs> after our wedding, which we have we have a honeymoon story that we need to write a book on because uh, the fact that we actually survived our honeymoon and are still married is, you know, that sounds like a podcast. It, episode it, it, in it, the future. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to go through that For sometime. Sure. But I just remember that idea. She, she's like, you know, the pursuit stopped. My mom was right. You know, you you know, you don't bring me flowers anymore. You don't do. And I was like, oh my goodness. So I realized that, that that's, that's an important aspect, though, is, is the idea that you want to continually pursue uh, your wife. Even though she's your wife and you're married, right, that love pursuit needs to, needs to continue. So 
but yeah, that honeymoon phase for me was pr- was pretty quick. Yeah, and it goes back to the quote Gabe read from Keller a couple chapters ago to be fully known and mm. fully loved mm. is what we desire more than anything. Amen. And when that 18 months and that uh, honeymoon phase wears off, then we start to truly know our spouse and, yes. the, and the flaws come out and we see, and then we have to choose, am I going to love them regardless? Yeah. I, I love the idea that he's, as he talks about the flaws um, and he says, you know, why your character flaws may create mild problems for other people, they will create major problems for your spouse in your marriage. And so whatever, whatever small little you know, quirks that you have, um, other people have to deal with them on a uh, temporary basis. Your spouse has to deal with them on a permanent basis. They are there for them to see uh, and experience all the time. And so if you're impatient at work, well, at least I get to go home right at five o'clock and I get to be done with you, right? Or uh, whatever it is, but it, your spouse gets it 24, seven, 365 for the next 60 years. So if you're not going to be willing to change and allow marriage to sharpen you and make you into a better human being, that's going to be a difficulty uh, in that in that particular process. And he's like, marriage has the power to do that. Yes. It has the power to change you if you are open and willing to allow it to, to do that. Yeah, he, he says, when you get married, your spouse is big truck driving right through your heart. <laughs> yeah. <that's laughs> I thought, okay. okay. <laughs> but then he continues and he says, marriage brings out the worst in you. It doesn't create your... Uh, it doesn't create your weakness. It mm. reveals them. Mm-hmm. He says, this isn't a bad thing, though. Yep. But how can you change into uh, your future glory self if you assume that you're already pretty close to perfect, as it is? There you go. Uh, man, I, I wish somebody would have told me that, like, right out of the gate. Yeah. Um, because to your point, like like you've shared, Mike, it's like, man, I thought that, man, she's getting someone pretty wonderful. Yeah, she's pretty lucky. <laughs> What a gift I am. Um, and, and, and so I, I, I love this. It's almost like a transformation, really, that has to happen uh, when you figure out. But, man, there's so many things that God wants to do uh, in my own heart as we work through things together. And as my flaws are exposed uh, to the one who doesn't hold them against me, hopefully, um, yeah. but the one that will love me through those things. Um, then, then, man, I have this wonderful opportunity in marriage to allow this big truck to roll right through my heart uh, and not be wounded by it and not be offended by it, uh, but to like relish the fact that God's doing a work in me through her and through her continual love um, as we work on those flaws together. Yeah. Well, I mean, going back to the you know baseball or sports analogy for me, so many of our kids grow up with coaches. Uh, who help make them better because they coach them, right? Hey, you know, you're doing this wrong. You know, Gabe, you're not doing this right. Mike, you're not doing this right, right? And, and you have somebody speaking these um, constructive comments into your life, but yet we don't see marriage as the same thing. So when our spouse comes to us uh, and we begin to see revealed through the relationship some of the problems that we're having, um, and, and Keller writes in here, um, he says, um, it's not your spouse who's exposing the sinfulness of your heart. It's marriage itself, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And so it, here's the deal. If, if I can't hit a curveball, um, it's, it's not, you know, the pitcher's fault for throwing me a curveball. It's my fault for not being able to hit it. And yeah. so I have to go in and I have to put in the time and the effort and the energy to learn how to do that. I can't just go to the pitcher and say, hey, dude, I, I can't hit a curve. Stop throwing it. <laughs> right? That's, that's yeah. not how baseball works. Right? And, and in marriage, it's that same concept. Right? When you get to those areas of conflict and you begin to realize, oh, we're having conflict because of something in me. Uh, it, that's not the, the conflict isn't the problem. It's the something in me 
that the conflict is revealing, and that's what needs to be worked on. That's what needs to change. And if we assume that that's the right way to do marriage, that my wife is there or my spouse is there to help me be a better person, to help me be more like Christ, then I'm not taking a romantic view of love or a consumer view of love. In a consumer marriage or a romantic love marriage, I can't reveal any weakness right. because I have to have the perfect to- resume totally. all the time. Right. So I'm not going to be open to that flaw, which is scary because he, he says later, counselors will tell you the only flaws that can enslave you are the ones that you are blind to. If you are in denial about some feature of your character, that feature will control you. My spouse is actually there to take the rough edges off, to burn the dross off. If I'm in a covenant marriage, that's okay. Because I know she's doing that because she actually loves me. Then you can allow it to happen. Yeah. Right? Because, Because you know that if that person wants the best for you, and they're revealing these things to you because they want the best for you, because the best version of Mike is without these particular flaws, so let's work on them, then you go, wow, that's great, that's awesome. But if you have to hide those from them, because as they reveal them, then it becomes that stick that they beat you with, that relationship isn't going to work. It's not going to last. No, never going to work. Yeah, I I love where he's talking about um, someone better. Uh, And and he says that the someone better is your spouse. (laughs) Is your spouse, yeah. Uh, But it's just a a different version. it's It's the one that God has transformed. Uh, and that's what ought to excite you, yes. not not going out and finding somebody else new that you can start a whole new work on yeah. uh, it, together, but rather like embracing the one that you currently have that God has given you um, and, and looking forward to, uh, man, I'm just so thankful in my own life of that <laughs> my wife never looked at me and said, man, it's got to be somebody better. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm glad that she looked at me and said, there's somebody better right in front of me. Yeah, uh, there's, a better, there's a better Gabe yeah. that, that walks more closely to the Lord that saved him. So ho- Hollywood, I don't think, gets it right very often. Um, there's a movie called It's Complicated, and it's one of, one of the Baldwin brothers, like Alec Baldwin and, and you know, some famous actress as well. Um, and they have this um, problem, right? He has an affair with a younger woman. He, you know, they get divorced. He gets married to her. Uh, and then later... Um, it's it's crazy because the two of them kind of run into each other again and he's finally kind of the partner in his law firm. She's got her own business and, and it's funny because they, in a sense, they kind of fall back in love with each other and his line is um, like, this is this is where I always thought that we would be. And, and her concept is like, well, this is where we would have been if you yeah, hadn't left, yeah. right? I mean, it's just, you know, you're, when you're, when you're New, newly married, yes, you've got those issues, you've got those complications, right? But that, that's a season. You're not always going to be there. And then you start having kids and, you know, all of a sudden you have, uh, you know, different complications. But you're not always going to be there because that's a season. And all of a sudden you realize that, it, you know, if you just stick through this thing, that person who's your friend, you're going to make it through these difficult seasons and you're going to get to the point where, wow, look what we've been through and look how it's changed us and look how it's matured us and look how we've adapted to those things. And all of a sudden you, you kind of look back at that particular journey and realize, wow, I'm, I'm so glad we didn't give up on that. And, and since my wife knows my flaws, mm-hmm. knows all my failings, know my, knows my weaknesses, how much more does it mean to me when she actually chooses to, to love, love me at that in point? Spite of them. And, and you bring That's up a Hollywood. Great, great point. It, it made me think of, of the show Fixer Upper. We got Chip and Joanna yeah. Gaines, you know, finding a house, gutting it, yep. and then realizing there's 15 other things they had no idea was wrong. 
But since we're so used to a 30-minute television show, we see this perfect, immaculate house at the end. Yeah. And we don't see the thousands of hours of all the tradesmen and people working on each one of those structural flaws yeah. or a foundation flaw. Yeah. So we've bought this consumer view of marriage that inside of 30 minutes, everything's going to be fine. Yeah. When really, marriage is the start of marriage is demo day. And we're going to work the rest of our lives to fix all these pieces. And that glory is revealed in heaven. But we forget to sign up that we're on a restoration project. I'm here to help all those flaws and help seal them, fix the cracks, support them with, yep. the, with the word and the gospel to help elevate my wife. But I, I want a cookie-cutter 30-minute TV show yep. versus a restoration project I've committed to for the rest of my life. This is the one DIY I can't drop out of. Yeah, it's great. Good and, stuff. and really the rest of chapter five is just him kind of outlining the practicals of what that looks like. Mm-hmm. That restoration process looks like as he looks at how we show proper affection towards one another, uh, even in the midst of flaws, um, remembering the friendship, uh, the thing that unifies us, that keeps us together under that covenant. Uh, he looks at um, the, the power of serving each other, mm-hmm. um, yeah. how, how like I, I've always said, like the easiest way to kill pride is to to serve humbly. Um, like th- this is yep. how humility is bred is through service. Yep. Uh, and so it. if pride is something that you struggle with, then uh, part of loving a stranger is going out and serving them um, sacrificially. Uh, and then he goes into probably the most important practical way of uh, this restoration process, as you call it, Mike, was uh, is just grace. Being able to, to lovingly show grace, the same grace that's been extended to you through forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, and, and man, we could do, I mean, we could talk for a whole hour about, yeah. about reconciliation and, and forgiveness. Uh, but, but man, until you get to that point within your relationship to where you really can, uh, forgive, um, and you can reconcile the relationship, uh, in spite of the flaws or the mistakes, um, and not be discounted or discredited, um, then, then it's going to be much better for you as you work through those flaws. If you know that, man, anytime that I'm truthful, anytime that truth is brought up, uh, man, I know that there's forgiveness and there's care and there's love uh, provided for me. So, yeah. I, I wish somebody had said, Michael, if you want to be a great husband, learn how to apologize well and forgive well. Mm. Man, that's something, since I was so anchored on a consumer marriage and never having any flaws, I never wanted to say sorry. Yeah. Because I hadn't really embraced the gospel and the grace that Christ provides me. That's right. But if you are dating someone and they're great at apologizing and great at forgiving, man, that is a great foundation for a, a friendship that's going to last forever. Yeah. 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 It, it goes for parenting as well. Good for I know, parenting. This, I know yeah. we're not talking about parenting, but uh, I guess it, for parenting as well. Yeah. well. I, do, I do like how he finishes uh, chapter 5, too, uh, as, he, as he talks about learning to love the other person in the, the, in the way that they want to be loved, their particular mm-hmm. love language. Uh, and that's something that Trisha does an amazing job of is um, giving to me the things that build me up, right? Kind of like, what, what is Dan like? What are the things that, you know, that, that speak to Dan? Um, and I would say that th- those are the areas that I'm poor in, right? Because I'd, I'd rather love Trisha in the way that I like to yeah. be loved. And, and that's what's normal for me. And that's what's usual for me. And so it's kind of like learning to adapt and say, well, what is Trisha like? Right? What does my spouse enjoy? Uh, and how do we, how do we you know, meet those particular needs? So he does a great job with that. Uh, chapter six is embracing the other. Um, Mike, I know you, uh, you wanted to kind of take chapter six on as your own. And, and oh, just, I did. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it, I think, uh, unfortunately, you know, there's so much of this book that just, it's like he, uh, he said, uh, as my grandfather, hey, Mike, I'm going to tell you what you're doing wrong in marriage. <laughs> And this was a great section of, of doing that again. You know, we get into chapter 6, and he starts with Ephesians five twenty-two through 23. Well, Wives. Sorry, this is actually Kathy writing this, oh, this right. section. That's right. Thank yeah. you. Thank, Thank you. you. So, Which is helpful to understand, like, as she's talking about gender roles. Yeah. And so. Yeah. so Good point. Kathy starts with, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Husbands, love your wives mm-hmm. just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So this is, you know, 22, 23, and 25, and we're talking about the S word, and that's not sex. We're talking about submission. And Kathy goes into a great explanation of the struggle she had in understanding what that meant. Uh, and well, actually, the struggle that both of them had yes. in understanding what that meant. Um, yeah. You know, submitting one to another, submitting to Christ, um, and then what does that look like to be the headship uh, in a relationship, and what does it look like for... Uh, the wife to submit to the husband as both are submitting to Christ. It, it's a it's a complicated, um, you know, and very it, it leads to a lot of problems within marriage, um, where uh, where men will abuse um, the headship authority that is opposed to yeah. uh, being the you know chief encouragement officer. I become you know the chief executive officer, and you yeah. do what I want, and you do it my way. And, and instead of, instead of submitting to Christ and saying, hey, this, this verse tells me uh, that because I'm the head of the family in this relationship, I'm the first one to give service to, and I'm the one who shows love first because that's what Christ did. He came not to be served, but to serve, right? So many men make that particular mistake, and then it puts that wife in that very uncomfortable position, right? That instead of submitting to somebody who's already submitted to Christ, they're submitting to somebody who is lording it over them. And yeah. that's, a, that's a relationship that isn't going to work. As men, we, we anchor on verse 22 and expect our wives to submit and yeah. forget verse 21, where it says we're supposed to both, a husband and wife, submit to Christ first. Yeah, or 25, 5, which just says um, yeah. husbands love your wives. Uh, right? and like this, that's your verse. Yeah, husbands, if we're going to be practical, this should look like a situation all of us have been in. We're driving with our spouse, and we go, where do you want to eat? Yeah. And she goes, I don't know. Where do you want to eat? Like, this frustrating example of back and forth is actually mutual submission if it's done in the right heart. Yeah. Both of us trying to say, no, I really want right. to do this for you. Yeah. Uh, but that silly <laughs> scenario is exactly what we're getting at here is we, we are so bought into serving the other yeah. that it, 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 we don't need our own way in this. Yeah. Now, if she does say, I don't care, she really does. She wants to go to her favorite restaurant, I think. I'm just thinking of that same conversation a few years later when we had four kids in the car, yeah. and I would say, where do you want to go eat? And it went from, right, Trisha and I talking, right, to now six people. All wanting something different. All wanting something different. Yeah. Right? And, and you know what my solution was when, when that would happen? I would drive home. <laughs> if, if we're, hey, if we're not going to come to an agreement and we can't figure it out, we're just going home. We're just eating at home. And everybody's like, wait, what? what? They learned pretty really quick. quickly, right? Dad, dad just, he'll give up. You know, he doesn't like the bickering. He just goes home. So fun, fun, fun stuff. Um, what else in chapter, in chapter six? Yeah, I, I think for me, like early on, she, she goes through just the difference between, um, just the biblical difference between uh, the, 
the genders, mm-hmm. uh, that each one is created unique, but each one is created equal yep. uh, in importance in God's eyes, yep. um, and that they're, that they're made differently, but in order to complement one another. Yeah. Um, and, and then she, she has this quote in here where she says that submiss- submission in marriage was a gift I offered, not a duty coerced of me. Mm. And I thought, man, that's such a great... It just is such a great way to frame what submission is, is that for a wife, it's not, it shouldn't be burdensome. Uh, it should be a gift that you offer your husband. Uh, and then conversely, like as a husband, uh, my gift back is to lead well, yeah. uh, is to be the head who follows Jesus closely so that your submission is easier. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's like you see both of these things not as uh, as duties, as she'll say later, uh, but rather as like privileges and gifts that we get to offer the other one. Yeah. Um, and I, again, like we've said, I wish somebody would have told. I wish somebody would have told me like the joy that it comes from leading, um, but not in and of myself, but leading just as I follow Jesus. Um, and then the gift that it is for my wife to be like, man, I'm just going to trust you because I know you trust him. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the cool thing, I think, because they, they write up, I don't know if it's in this chapter, but they write a lot about the idea, right, submission from a woman's perspective. Um, you know, we think that it subjugates women. And they're like, here's the deal. Christianity elevated women. Mm-hmm. Christianity, right, that you, you're now choosing to submit, right? You're not uh, um, subservient. That's right. Right. Yeah. Where the culture... Um, you know, or the religion would say that you are a lesser person, which some religions do and some cultures do. And what they're saying is, no, 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 no. <laughs> you're equal to your husband. Now you're making a choice to submit and to follow that leadership where it's like, well, wait yeah. a second. W- women didn't have that choice to make before. And yeah. so when Paul's writing these things, it's like, whoa, wait, hang on a second. Isn't that just the standard? He's like, no, no. This is something you get to offer as a gift to your husband. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it raises and elevates women. So it's a, it's a really powerful um, chapter to read through, and if done correctly, if the headship of the husband, right, and the submission of the wife is done correctly, it is a it is a beautiful picture, right, as what he's going to point is Christ in the church. Yeah, yeah. he says, uh, quotes that directly, and as Kathy's talking, mm-hmm. Jesus has redefined headship. Yep. Uh, or more truly, he's defined headship properly. Yes. Headship and authority, thus taking the, it, as he's defined it properly, he's taken the toxicity out of it. So as she's looking at the Trinity and Christ submitting to the mm. Father, well, if Christ could do that and offer that to the Father, I'm going to offer that to my husband. Exactly. Man, that's powerful. That's huge. And, but that puts a ton of weight then on my leadership and headship of the family, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, she, she also talks a lot about... Um, just this mutual servant mentality mm-hmm. that comes from both that like as as the head of household then your job is to be the servant leader uh, and then as as the spouse or as the wife um, they're they're called to be to be a servant as well uh, and that's super unpopular language uh, nobody likes to, to talk about this particularly uh, but to your point Dan like it's so it was so countercultural yes. when Paul's writing these things yeah. uh, in Ephesians um, that that Man, it was it was I to me it's it's it sounds like a gift uh, that the Lord is giving to women, but also to men to clearly identify and establish these roles within the context of of marriage. Um, and, and so I, it's just so it, I don't know. It just seems so much bigger and so much clearer than um, than the than the mess that the world mm. and the culture. Yes. Uh, tries to make it out to be, uh, that when you go back to scripture, like, no, no, like this is actually for each one of your good. 
<laughs> like it really is like God is for you. And so like allowing you and clearly defining these roles within the context of uh, this covenant uh, relationship that I've given you, uh, man, this, this, this is for your good. Yep. And you're both going to flourish if, if it's done well uh, as you follow me. Yep. And if it's not done well, it's going to be a disaster. Absolutely. <laughs> We've seen that. Well, that's chapters uh, five and six. We'll get ready for seven and eight. So keep on reading. Thank you for listening to Training for Manhood. If you found the conversation to be valuable, make sure to rate us where you listen to podcasts. Also, check out additional content on our website, trainingformanhood.com. That's training, the number four, manhood.com. Until next time, in the words of King David, be strong and show yourself a man.